Welcome, and thanks again for joining us. If you're a Christian in the United States of America and you are half awake, then you know that it is time to stand and fight. And New Geneva Academy is a pastor's college which exists to produce pastors who are willing to suffer hardship as a good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And this year, I'm very excited to announce that they will be hosting a shepherd's conference called The Good Soldier. All the topics, all the conference will be centered around this idea of being a good soldier. It'll be hosted here at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana, on October 6th and 7th. You can register. I'll have the links to register in the show notes and on warhornmedia.com. You can also check out their website, newgenevaacademy.com. You can register there and learn a little bit more about the college, but I want to encourage all of you listeners to come, but especially if you're a pastor or an elder or a deacon, a church leader, please plan to come. If you have a pastor or an elder or a deacon in your church, encourage them to come. Or if you aspire to be a pastor, an elder, or a deacon, or any kind of church leader, to take responsibility for others in your church, come. This, this conference will strengthen you, it'll help you, it'll encourage you, and it would encourage us to have you be with us. So please plan to come. Now, along that same theme of being a good soldier for the Lord, today's conversation will be about how to direct young men who are zealous for the Lord. That's not always an easy task. So my conversation today is with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. So today I want to talk about young men and zeal, because a young man full of zeal is like a rocket ship, and if it's pointed in the wrong direction, you end up with disastrous results. And so if you've got a young man who is on fire for the Lord and loves his church, uh, wants to take responsibility for others and serve, it's very typical for such a man to look around in the world that we live in right now and for him to gnash his teeth at the wickedness of the world and want to jump in to any number of skirmishes going on around him. Black Lives Matter was huge last summer. That's a big issue. Abortion, obviously huge. If a man has a tender conscience and he considers the slaughter of the unborn, that's, I mean, that's going to torment a young man whose conscience is tender on that issue. And so young men and zeal. Well, what is a young man supposed to do with his zeal? Uh, A couple thoughts came to my mind as I considered how a young man could spend his zeal. Uh, One example that we often see is that he becomes a a Facebook crusader, right? He's on Facebook all the time, posting all the time, making sure to get a word in, in uh, all the discussions and flame wars. We're not too excited about that kind of, kind of zealous young man, to be frank. Uh, But there's another kind of man that is also problematic, There's a young man in our church years ago who decided to go to our local abortion mill and uh, in the middle of the night when no one was there and destroy everything that he possibly could before the cops showed up. And he did not tell a soul. He he was a father and a husband. He did not tell his wife. He did not tell his dad. He didn't tell absolutely anybody. But he felt convinced to do that, and he went and did that. And he was actually rebuked by our elders 
for doing that. He was told that was not how we were going to oppose abortion. And so there you go. You've got a young man full of zeal. What are you supposed to do to direct such a man? When you say that we rebuked him, what we did was we called a meeting of the elders mm-hmm. at our house, and we, we did. We rebuked him. But I think it's important that people understand why we didn't rebuke him for having zeal against the slaughter of children, which has taken over the entire world and is in the billions. Yeah. And so anytime we hear anything about Black Lives Mattering, it's, it's just, it's laughable. Right. It's not that there aren't individual acts of injustice perpetrated by people who are law enforcement officers who should not use their weapons or their authority or their power in that way. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when people who claim to be social justice warriors so studiously avoid the most awful, awful wickedness and oppression and injustice that the world has ever known mm-hmm. and so studiously avoid it, for them to have any moral authority in the world, let alone among Christians, mm-hmm. is scandalous to the max. So it's not that we're against men and women having zeal against the slaughter of the unborn, mm-hmm. but rather it's because we honor authority we respect authority, we submit to authority, because Scripture never stops commanding this of us, telling us that God's the one that's established authorities. And so anybody listening is going to think, well, yeah, he shouldn't have done that because it's the law of the land. But actually, that's not why we rebuked him. We rebuked him because he did not submit his violent actions to the elder's of the church and to his father and father-in-law. And I think that's a very important thing to say, that fighting, particularly when you take a stand against authority, Mm -hmm. needs to be under authority. It's not simply rebellion, it's reform. The difference between rebellion and reform, you can see it in every man. You know, you know the rebel and you know the reformer. The reformer suffers the rebel is just romantic, you know, a rebel with a cause, rebel mm. without a, you know. And so what I want to say about the issue of young men in zeal is that the church does not need young men who want to be heroes and go off half-cocked, and that's almost always what you're dealing with. You're dealing with young men who have no inclination to submit their zeal to anyone older than themselves. Hmm. But a young man could be listening to this and thinking, got some old fuddy-duddies talking about this, and the reality is, if I submit my zeal to them, then I'll never do anything. Is that what you have experienced personally? No. Okay. So, in other words, you were not long ago a young man, and did the older men who led you just simply try to suppress your zeal? I don't think so, no. Okay, so what we're really dealing with here is that an awful lot of spiritual leaders have no zeal Mm. and simply are interested in maintaining their own garden in such a way that it produces food for them to eat. In other Mm. words, they're eating their sheep. Mm. 
They're not guarding them. They're not protecting them. They're not evangelistic. They're just simply safe. Mm -hmm. And so young men under a man like that, listening to me, will say, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what you just said. Right. So then how do you address that with young men listening? And my answer to that is, if you don't see your pastor suffering because of his zeal, then maybe you need to find a different pastor. Hmm. If you're cynical about submitting yourself to older Christians because you don't see anybody taking any risks, you don't see anybody acknowledging any danger, you don't see any max, we all appreciate zeal. Do we want our young men to have zeal? We want yeah, men, we absolutely. want old men to have zeal. Right. We absolutely. want zeal should attend us until we die. Mm. And until there's not reason to have zeal as we know it now, zeal should always be with us. That's biblical. Yeah, and I think reality. your quote about the sap. Yes, from Psalms 94, I think is the quote about the, the, the righteous are in their old age, bear fruit and are full of sap. And I love that that passage, and I often mm -hmm. read it to seniors mm -hmm. who are telling me, why am I still here? I don't have any, you know, I say, you need to look for an opportunity to be useful to God in the way that you can right now. Mm -hmm. Because this, this, the Bible doesn't say that you're out of, that you're out of sap unless you've, you've just given up, right? Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about the question of zeal, and the fact is that young men having, having zeal it isn't that we want to stop them from having zeal. If they're discouraged about their pastor not exhibiting any zeal, I can understand why that, that discourages them. But if a man has a lot of zeal also, it doesn't necessarily, he, he has the right kind of zeal. Hmm. There's all kinds of things to be zealous about that aren't worth being zealous about. Okay, well, let's talk about that because a man could be zealous about opposing Black Lives Matter in our circles, right? A man could be zealous about abortion. And uh, what would be some other topics? Those are the two. That masks. Okay. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Vaccines, masks. Yeah. Zealous about opposing masks, opposing vaccines. And in our church, when we have a young man who's zealous about those things, we're not necessarily gung-ho. Now, why is that? That might even sound scandalous to people listening to us. I think we have to introduce the idea that that the Bible is in favor of people's zeal being directed biblically. Okay. And so you have a uh, you have scripture that says it, but you also have scripture that gives us examples of it where Jesus tells Peter to put the sword away. Okay. Yeah, talk about that example. Well, Jesus they're in the garden and Judas comes up and betrays the Lord mm -hmm. and Peter pulls out the sword and he strikes off Malchus, was it Malchus was his name? The priest, the high priest servant's ear. Mm -hmm. And so the man is earless, right? And Jesus, it's just an amazing account because it's just like, it just says it like, and it's a manly kind of story because you're there with them all in the garden and you're thinking, okay. And then Jesus picks up the ear, assuming it's on the ground or something, <laughs> and, uh, and heals him. Yeah. And says, put the sword away. Yeah. I could, you know, if the, if this was the way God wanted to accomplish and and align himself with zeal, 
uh, he would provide, I would have called, and there would have been an army here to deliver me. But this isn't the kingdom I'm, I'm setting up. It's not the kingdom of swords and ears missing. Okay, so are you... And so, but he's not saying to Peter, don't have zeal. And in fact, Peter is going to turn around and in, in a very short period of time, go through the most despondent, despairing time of his life, I'm assuming, mm. when he denies Christ. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to turn around in a few days after that, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on him, and he's going to stand up and say the most profound sermon mm. of history. Mm-hmm at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And then Peter's zeal, who's going to deny that he has zeal? He'll take, he'll walk with that zeal sinning along the way, but he'll walk with that zeal all the way to the, the upside down cross that tradition says he's crucified on. Mm. And, and it's zeal, but it's directed. Let's remember about Peter that Jesus had directed this fisherman's zeal. He had said to him, can you not watch with me one hour? And when it came to pie in the sky, by and by, kind of spiritual, kind of pious, kind of, you know, ineffective things like staying awake and praying for your master as he faces his mm. death and his separation from his father, which was much worse. The zeal was absent there. Then later, one of you is going to betray me. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, no, 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 no. I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Oh, yeah, he has zeal, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have any self-knowledge. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. And then after Jesus is raised by his father, down there on the beach, he asks Peter if he loves him. And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And this is what you always want to say to young men who think that it's really exciting and masculine to get children and mothers to go down to the courthouse and sing without masks on, and you want them to wake up and realize how cheap that is, Mm. and that what they need to do is to watch and pray. They need to learn how weak their love for Jesus is, okay? It's not that you don't protest. You know, I protested many, many times Mm -hmm. in many ways. Was down outside of Terry Schiavo, have gone down to the abortuary here, back at UW-Madison when when the police were approving of people assaulting and committing battery against the street preacher. You know, I protested, and then I went up to the police chief of Madison. Of course we protest. The Mm -hmm. point is that the fight always begins inside us. Mm -hmm. And that's the fight young men don't want to give themselves to. Almost always, the young men who are belligerators and think that the real action is with politics and tyrants are perpetually looking at pornography. Do not raise their hands or sing with gusto in worship. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I always think of William Law, you know, saying, oh, yeah, there's always these men in church that say that they can't sing, but you get them a little drunk in the bar and they sing. And so I put in juxtaposition, you know, these young men who say they have zeal and mm-hmm. that, you know, the old fogies have no zeal and, and they're weak and, and they don't have any enemies and stuff. And I begin to talk to them about what enemies I have, mm. actually. 
and how they've been carefully cultivated through the years, and that we as a church have really suffered because of the faithfulness of our elders in their work, in the state house, in the hospital, in at the university, you know. But the young men, that's you know, that's, that's a, well, forget that. We we're on social media, and we hear all these self promoters talking about how they're the ones that are really, really youth is foolish. And it's not just a four-year-old or a 14-year-old. It's also a Mm 24-year-old. They are foolish. I remember, Lucas, when you moved to town here, Mm -hmm. you all of a sudden decided that you were going to get real involved with IU Students for Life. Right. And I was young. I had time. I had energy. And you are a serious man. And you were then. In other words, you give yourself to something and there's nothing held back. Mm -hmm. How many children do you have? (laughs) 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 and so remember we came to you and we said no yeah i remember okay why well because abortion is not going to stop until the minds and hearts of our nation are changed and everybody wants to think that it's going to stop by legislation Mm -hmm. and then they say well no incremental legislation and you just have to get the legislation right and if we can find one state that will you know, uh, interposition, you know, and, you know, the lesser majesty, you know. So you used the example of Peter, and it really is a fascinating example. We started talking about this in our pastor's meeting a couple hours ago, and we didn't even say it this way, but it really is interesting to see the juxtaposition that you pointed out, how Peter lacked zeal in certain instances that Jesus specifically called him to, and then was rebuked for his zeal uh, by Jesus when he chopped off the ear. But then what I'm thinking is, okay, so are you, you know, one way you could take that is to say that Jesus has led us in a view of change, change for ourselves, change for our families, churches, societies, that is like the leaven in the dough, okay? Slow, gradual, but then are you just arguing for essentially being pacifists? You could be accused, I think, of being sort of 2K, maybe even R2K. And I know that's counter to what you've done in your life. Like both of you men have opposed, actually gone down to abortion clinics or gone down to Terry Schiavo's thing and certainly demonstrated that you're not R2K in that sense. But if you have two pastors, one pastor has consistently taken positions that have caused his closest friends and family to hate him, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have caused him to lose jobs, Mm -hmm. have caused him to have no publisher willing to publish him, okay? And it's not because he's a pompous ass. It's not because he's bombastic. It's because he's not flattering people, and he really does address the sins of the evangelical world. And you have another pastor who says, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. And what we need to do is resist the tyrants. And we need a few legislators who will commit themselves to interposition. And, and, you know, you need to understand the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, yeah, the lesser magistrate. And he tells you that he has given away and sold a thousand of his books. And, and, and he speaks at conferences. And, and when he gets done, they want him back. Mm-hmm. Now, one of them is clearly cutting his eye teeth on battles that are outside his own family, 
his own church, and his own heart. I mean, that's what interposition is. Mm -hmm. The other one is starting locally, subsidiarity. The other one believes that judgment should begin in the household of faith. How do we get to the point where young men accuse the man who takes a position against his own family, painfully so, of being a coward and being a fuddy-duddy and having no guts and no glory and no zeal, and the other guy who actually is promoted and liked and podcasted and and fated and and I mean it's just so perverse. Mm-hmm. Listen, from a very young man, I've watched the church. I grew up in Wheaton among evangelicals. I know how this thing works. Men carefully cult, cultivate an image of themselves being brave. But the men I've known in my life who are really brave Don't are men that. who would never do that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I keep reminding people that my dad back in the 70s took on Bill Gothard and he suffered for it. He never promoted himself as being a brave man. And then guess what? Decades later, it comes out what he was warning everybody about. Nobody goes back and says, oh, Joe Bailey was a prophet. Hmm. He's dead. He's buried. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, Julie Royce, you know, well, isn't she brave? She wrote about this after it came out, you know, asking people for money as she does it mm-hmm. and promoting herself as she does it. I mean, look, let me say this. People might say that we're pacifists when it comes to the world and to the civil magistrate and that we're 2K, mm-hmm. R2K, okay? Mm-hmm. That we're two kingdom and we don't believe in having an involvement. That is a lie. And the reason is we have consistently called top men and women in our church to take sacrificial stands in their positions in the world. Mm-hmm. All right, now think about this. How can we be strict separation of church and state Mm -hmm. if we have the magistrates in our church? Right. They're in our church. And I can document on and on and on what leaders in our church have done through the years that have been extremely painful for them. Mm -hmm. Now, why did they do that? Now, this is a little weird, but I'm going to do it. Because their pastors and elders rebuked them Hmm. and taught them and exhorted them to do that. You're not going to have civil magistrates taking a position because they read a book on interposition. Hmm. You won't. It'll never happen. You might get some idiot, you know, who who happens to be from a completely Republican district in the state, (laughs) you know, who throws himself on his sword and nobody notices when a pastor, when an elder calls a man who has serious authority for the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. to say no to abortion, to say no to sodomitic marriage, to say no to cowering in front of Tim Cook and uh, Angie's List and everybody else at Referent, mm-hmm. Mike mm-hmm. Pence, okay? When they go in and they rebuke and they write opinions and they do things like this, they do this because they're a part of a body of Christ that is calling them to be zealous in their callings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They've spent years building up 
you know, they took the bar, they went to law school, they edited the journal, they got appointed to the appellate courts, you know, they've been asked to come to Washington. They're at the head of a pack. Mm -hmm. These are men from our church. And so people can say, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You tell them to do that stuff. Okay. Okay. Good, good response. You tell them to do that stuff. It's easy for you. You just sit here at home and you're a pacifist. Right. And I say, no, 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 no. Anybody here knows the cost it has been to the elders and pastors of this church to call these men to be faithful. Mm -hmm. You do not call civil magistrates to be zealous for God in their callings without always being at the very edge of losing your job, losing the friendships, losing their wives' approval of the church, them leaving the church, their children resenting the church, their relatives hating us. Mm -hmm. In other words, when a pastor leads civil magistrates and rebukes them and admonishes them in the church, that is the most painful thing he can do. Mm -hmm. He would not have more pain by going out and picketing the abortuary because everybody's, oh, yeah, 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 he did that so we don't have to. But when you begin to preach in such a way that your civil magistrates have to be the ones that put their lives on the line, that's a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. And that's where the test of you as a pastor and of the elders is. Mm -hmm. And so it's not 2K. Mm-hmm. It's extremely painful. You can't see it if you're not in this church. Mm. But I mean, we have lost top leaders because of the zeal that we've called them to for the kingdom of God and for the, the pursuit of the kingdom of God. So, yeah, I know you have to ask that question. I take umbrage at it because people on a podcast don't know the suffering of this church. They don't know it. And so, they just don't take it seriously. They think we're pacifists, we're 2K, we're, <laughs> and it's like, oh, so in other words, I need to go down to the courthouse and get my wife and my grandchildren to sing hymns without masks for you to take me seriously? Well, it, what keeps going through my mind is the PR side of it. It's all PR. It's all, well, it's not just, uh, again, the conversation started by talking about young men, okay? And what young all the only thing that young men see, or maybe what they see initially or most easily, cheaply, is cheap most cheaply, is social media, is social media and the internet. I mean, and so that's what they they see the people that are making noise and making the PR, and they're attracted to that. They see action. They want to go to the action. But there right? is no action. It's all, it's all. I always say it's medieval morality plays. What is medieval morality? All of the social media okay. hype. It's well, just what like... What is a medieval morality play? I'm a sorry. medieval morality play is is like a Punch and Judy show. It's where you put on things that cause people to learn what is right and what is wrong. Okay, so... And so you put on this show, and then people listen to the show, watch the show, and they're helped. Okay. You know, it's but, like... The point was back then to teach people more morals is what you're saying. Yeah, but okay. it wasn't a deep teaching. Okay. It was a play. Okay. And, you know, plays generally are not real helpful in building character. Okay, yeah. They entertain us. They entertain us. And that's right. what social media, social justice warriors are. Is there right. an entertainment that can cause people to feel 
that they vicariously through Black Lives Matter, through Tim Keller's uh, attack on creationism, you know, that you have some street cred among other sophisticated young evangelicals, young reform men. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's just cheap. Mm-hmm. Nobody's sacrificing anything. They're just talking. Mm-hmm. And that's what young men do is they talk. Mm-hmm. But there's no suffering. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago, we were trying to get our handle on why it was that in some of the things at that time, this was like 12 years ago, we really trusted Doug Wilson. I remember Dave Carell, Pastor Carell here saying one time, he's bloody. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, my whole life, I couldn't give you a rip about men that aren't bloody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But men that are bloody have my undying loyalty and trust. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would use as an illustration Joe Sobron. You know, William F. Buckley fired him over a fax machine. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because he was saying anything critical of Israel and its, its uh, civil rights and how it treated the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'd die for Joe. Actually, when he did die, uh, three of us drove the whole way to Washington to attend his wake. Hmm. And there's a bloody man. Elizabeth Elliot was a bloody man. I mean, she wasn't a man, but she was bloody. She took a stand for the Christian Palestinians Hmm. in a dispensational Israel can do no wrong context back in the 70s. She took a stand. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Elliot was not allowed to speak on the campus of Gordon-Conwell because Mm -hmm. she would speak against feminism. And everybody there, it was a a union house of feminism, all the professors, everything there. Mm -hmm. And so then the students got together, the wives, and said, we petition the administration to allow her come to speak to us. And the administration was shamed, so they had to allow her onto campus. She just lived a couple miles away in oh, wow. Magnolia by wow. the sea. Joe Bailey. Why did Tim Bailey adore his father? Because he was bloody. Mm. Why do you adore your father and your mother? Because of how they suffer to minister to the Congo. You know? I mean, I've heard you tell stories about your dad, Dave. You know your favorite story about your dad is how he handled the horses on Sunday. Well, yeah. One of the things about my father was that he was in business with a man, along with working in the in the in Buick Motors. He was in business with a man who raced horses with my father. They raised and took show horses, quarter horses, to shows. And at one point, my father was convicted because all of his children he had seven children. And he realized that the practice of going to horse shows almost always happened on Sunday. And so it wasn't possible for him to take his family to church and go to horse shows all the time. So he just decided and went to his partner and said, buy me out. Buy me out. Hmm. It was a fire sale. It just was an immediate fire sale. Hmm. My father took a, a good, strong hit, and we went to church. But it, I, I don't, not one of my siblings would say that that wasn't, incredibly strategic toward our spiritual development and Mm. preservation in our lives Mm. and God's work in our lives. Every one of us would say that, that it was so important and it cost. Mm. Mm. That's the point I think you wanted me to make, Tim, is that it was, it was costly. 
everything we do, you t- and it starts with young men, if we're going to have young men who are working toward being zealous about something, yeah. and that they're going to really be fruitful in their lives, the fact is it has to come at the point of every place that will cost them something. Mm-hmm. From the point of them looking and saying, I'm not going to be uh, I'm not going to be a video game professional. I'm going to be uh, a, f- a husband because he has the responsibility that he has to carry as a husband. Then he's going to say, I'm not going to be a fruitless man in my marriage. My wife and I are going to be fruitful, Lord willing. And so he has children and that costs him. He has to bear the responsibility for that those children. And if he is good and faithful in that work, God says he may be qualified to be an elder and a father in the church. And being that father and elder in the, elder in the church, it will cost him. And he will bear the responsibility of carrying God's people and and protecting God's people and shielding them. And if he is a father in the community and a father in the government, it's going to cost him. And Mm. he is going to bear the responsibility in all those places. The pastors of the churches are responsible not only to engage in that responsibility themselves, but to also provoke the people, the men of the church, particularly in their zeal and their responsibility to lead and care for the sheep. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And the thing I wanted you to make the point about is you bring that story up about your father because he won your heart through oh, that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he won yeah. the whole family's heart. And so what men have to realize when they're young and zealous is there's two ways of winning your heart. One way is to wave a red flag in front of you and say, I'm a hero. You should follow me, you know. And the other is for them very quietly to have a lot of children, to work very hard, to care for the widow and the orphan in her distress, to quietly go down to the abortuary and hold up signs and call to the men escorting their girlfriends in to not kill their child and not to market and advertise because marketing and advertising never go with courage and zeal. It's a false zeal when you're always promoting yourself. You just don't do that. I hadn't thought about it till you brought up Jesus talking to Peter about feeding the sheep. Maybe it was you, Lucas, I can't remember. And I just thought to myself, it hadn't hit me that way, but here's Jesus at the strategic moment and what all the things he could have said. Hmm. It was it was the most pastoral. It was the most difficult. Hmm. Almost mon- <laughs> mundane. Because difficult because it would just require the care of the little ones. It would just require the care and oversight. It had it didn't have any grandeur to it. It didn't. It wasn't like you know. Do you love me, Peter? Well, uh, do something grand. Do mm. something big. Make a name, boy. Think about how famous I could be, Peter, if you'd make a name and then tell me, tell everybody that your name is built on my name, and then I could be famous. And it wasn't that at all. It was just something so difficult, as you said. Yeah, I, I think that young men have to be rebuked for making false judgments all the time. They're so foolish. Glitz is what gets them bling. It's like men today are so weak that they look at the macho dudes and think that's strength. Yeah, no, that's true. But it's just not strength. Macho dudes are very insecure. I don't know anybody that I would be more suspicious of than somebody who who is a weightlifter. Right. You know, we've had them in our church. 
And turns out it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> he actually went to prison. It's an interesting way to look at it. It's like muscle with no purpose. I mean, you take a man, I've seen men who are whose bodies don't look anything like men who pump iron. Mm-hmm. But they can shovel the oh, trench my goodness. For, yes. for five hours. <laughs> I don't, you know, I've had a number of jobs and a number that I've loved. But I don't take as much pride in any job I've done in my life as the summer I spent cleaning motel bathrooms. And I tell young men, I say, if you're willing to clean a toilet without being squeamish or to wash a roof over you with a power washer and eat all the crud that comes down, because you have to look up and do it and you're just going to eat it. (laughs) And I said that to one of my grandsons working. No, it was your grandson. I think it was Isaac. Mm -hmm. And we were washing above us. And I said, you know, dude, if you're able to do this and not mind it, you'll never be lacking the ability to provide for your wife and children. Well, you know, that's not glamorous and it doesn't look like zeal. And I think an awful lot of times men who are unwilling to do the common things, it's not just because they're not strong enough, but it's because they won't get dirty. I mean, it's really that gross that so many men today will not get dirty. You know, the very guys that pump iron wouldn't clean a toilet, you know? Well, now I'll pump iron, but I won't clean a toilet. Well, why not? Well, I could get germs, you know? I I think you're right, but you mentioned something in our previous conversation that one of the things men want is to be a hero, right? Right. A guy, I think, is often willing to put up with a whole lot if he feels like it's connected to something bigger. Okay, there's a young man in our church, and he was asked by you to put together a sheet of paper of instructions as to how we would handle our lawnmower and our trimmers, and he's good mechanically. Mm -hmm. And so he put together this sheet that when we ended up reading it, we thought, oh my goodness, this is like a 21-year-old, and he's going to rule with an iron rod over all the deacons who are 30 and 40 yeah. if they don't add this additive here and get this here and put that there and everything. And so this is an example, I think, of what you're talking about where, you know, as he saw it, he was being zealous for the job he'd been given. Mm-hmm. But what we said to him is, look, your inclinations are good. We're happy that you're willing to be so specific and careful Mm -hmm. with all these details. But the fact is, you have not yet proven your willingness to care for the equipment, to fix it when it goes down. Why why are David Carell and I the ones that are over here lying on our backs in the gravel, (laughs) you know, under the ZTR fixing it? And yet you want to rule the deacons about how they do this. Okay, now listen, here's my point. Mm -hmm. It is the job of older men to teach younger men what they don't know about themselves. Mm. It is your job to tell him, you spend years getting the gas yourself, adding the additive yourself, doing the repairs yourself. And when you have proven yourself, then you will be capable of leadership, but not until then. In other words, it is the job of the elders and pastors to bring to the young men with zeal the discipline of that zeal that boot makes... Camp. huh? Boot yeah, camp. yeah, it is boot camp because it's humiliation. Mm-hmm. It's always humiliation with young men. Mm-hmm. The only way that you can pull that off 
I shouldn't say you can pull it off because it's God that does it. That's so clear. Mm-hmm. The only way that God can use you to do that is if those young men see you painfully mm-hmm. leading and shepherding. Painfully. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me, let, let me back up to Peter a second. What was Peter's glory moment? Mm, yeah. Okay, listen. Peter, do you love me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lord, I love you. <laughs> but Peter, do you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know it. But Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know. Now, that's a glory moment. Mm -hmm. It's completely humiliating. Mm -hmm. And he is willing for Jesus to break him down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Jesus is doing. It's like rubbing his nose in the fact that when he— I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. (laughs) Okay, that's one. I think that's a glorious moment. Mm -hmm. Now— What's another glorious moment that we haven't mentioned? It may be his most glorious moment was when Peter rebuked him in front of the whole church for switching sides at the potluck. You mean Paul rebuked Peter? I mean Paul, yeah. 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 Because we don't see Peter being bitter and cutting himself. We see Peter actually writing, you know, some of the things our brother writes are Are difficult, difficult. (laughs) you know, but they're helpful, you know? Listen. Over the years, I've watched a lot of men receive admonitions and rebukes and censures. Mm. The true test of a man, and it's all through Proverbs, the wise man receives rebuke, the fool refuses. And there is not a third category of man that doesn't need to be rebuked. (laughs) There's just two categories, Mm -hmm. those who are teachable and those who aren't. Mm. The zeal of young men all needs to be channeled Mm -hmm. in the direction of them being teachable. And so a young man that looks at me and says, well, you're an old fogey, you know, you're compromised, you're 2K, you're this, that, and the other thing. Eh, I'll deal with him a little bit, but not very long because he's not saying anything about me. Hmm. What he's saying is all about himself and I won't waste time on him. And this is the reason why men in the pastor's college in our church have always gone to all the elders' meetings. Men who are training for ministry and don't see the dangers and pains and suffering of the elders and pastors as they discuss how to deal with the latest attack on the church, how to deal with the latest horrible sin. If they don't go to the elders' meetings, yeah, they're not going to listen to you because they don't know how you suffer in the ministry. We're going to hit the pause button for now, but here's the deal. Young men with zeal don't want to go to boot camp. They don't think they need it. They don't think they need the humiliation. They want to get right to the action right now. What they don't understand is that that boot camp is precisely what they need to prepare them to be a good soldier. So we'll pick up the conversation again next week. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. And don't forget to register for the Shepherds Conference. Bye for now. Bye for now.